This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You are listening to the 264th episode of the podcast, and I appreciate it. Whether this is your first time or you've been here for a while, thank you for downloading and for listening. Today we're talking about three fly fishing lies. Three fly fishing lies. Uh, one of the things that I think about as I write for Casting Across, as I prepare podcast material for the podcast, are things that are out there in the culture, in the fly fishing culture, or maybe even in the general outdoors culture, and our perceptions about fly fishing, and how we need to maybe do a better job of communicating things, both for people who are observing, but certainly for people who are participating. And as the stewards of fly fishing, those who fly fish, uh, we, we have that opportunity, and that's helpful for ourselves, and it's helpful for, uh, for folks who are kind of paying attention and who might want to get involved in fly fishing. And so if you're new, this stuff might be very helpful for you because you might be working through some of these issues. And if you've been fly fishing for a long time, these are things that you might have a slightly improper perception of, or you might kind of have this um, inconsistency where you know the right answer, but you also kind of toe the party line when it comes to some of these, what I would call lies or mistruths or, or uh, half-truths when it comes to fly fishing. And here's the first one. The first one is that you can learn fly fishing by yourself. You can learn fly fishing by yourself. Uh, the DIY world is really uh, exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a lot of home renovations right now, and I'm happy that I can do about 95% of them either by myself or with somebody uh, alongside me that's not a professional, but somebody who's just done that kind of project before. But even in that, 
it's not truly DIY. Uh, I'm doing it with someone, I'm, whether it be one of my kids holding up some cabinetry while I can attach to the wall, whether it be a friend coming over so that uh, he can he can hold down the flooring while I nail it in, uh, whether it be somebody that, that is a professional but is a friend who comes over and help me with some measurements and some calculations. Um, those things are not truly DIY. I am relying upon the expertise and simply the experience of others to help me in what I'm trying to do in my house. The same is true in fly fishing. So what do I really mean by the fact that you, can, you can't do fly fishing by yourself? I mean that you can't really succeed at fly fishing in any meaningful and timely manner without relying upon others in some way, shape, or form. So let's go to the extreme. The extreme example of learning how to fly fish is going to a school, which, you know, whether it be Orvis or whether it be some lodge or whether it be your local Trout Unlimited chapter, they're going to offer something like that. And then when you get out on the water, you have a guide with you. In doing this, you are getting one perspective, but a good perspective, a presumably good perspective on what fly fishing ought to be and what it ought to look like. And that person, if they are a quality educator, is not only going to put you on fish, put you in the right position to make the right presentation of the fish, but they are going to be able to, in a way that you can understand, and if you can't, they can shift, articulate why they're doing what you're, they're doing and why they want you to do what they want you to do. That is the best way to learn fly fishing. You might say, oh, I, I learned by simply going out with my grandpa. Okay, great. That's a great way to learn. That is a derivation of what I just went, went over. And grandpa might have been an expert an excellent communicator. But that isn't necessarily the case for people who uh, are, are just showing somebody how to do something. So again, the, the polar positive extreme of learning how to fly fish comes with being taught by experts. You might say, oh, I'm very wary of experts. I get that, but hopefully you see what I'm saying. And then you move down the line to grandpa showing you how to do it, to uh, somebody at the fly shop just kind of walking you through things, to watching videos on YouTube or, or reading magazines and books. Those things are all helpful. But in doing that, you are you are potentially coming at it from a DIY perspective, but you are taking in that information in a way that is going to have a qualitative effect on your time on the water. And so so this is important. When when someone wants to take up fly fishing, you shouldn't say, oh, just get out there and try it. Or if you have just getting out there and trying it, uh, and, and things don't seem like they've been working right for you, whether it be in something like the casting mechanics, whether it be in fly selection, whether it be in hooking fish, landing fish, finding the right stream, then the clear and easy solution is to go to a resource. Again, that resource at the, at the very bottom end it might be this podcast, it might be the website, it might be uh, one of the, the big fly fishing brands, it might be your local fly shop, it might be hiring a guide. And in doing so, you rapidly accelerate the learning curve such that you are able to find your way to the right solutions to the problems that you're facing so much quicker. So all of that to say, it is a lie to say that you can figure out fly fishing on your own. I, I, I'm sure it's happened and I'm sure that somebody out there can respond. They can accuse me. You know, there's a podcast coming up in five weeks or so about fly fishing accusations of someone who said, I went to the store. I asked the, the person behind the counter to give me what I need. And, uh, and, and that's it. I mean, really, and you could make the argument that that person helped you, or you could say, I walked into a fly, a fly shop for the first time. I kind of just 
felt my way through it from my time doing, um, you know, conventional angling and I grabbed stuff and I went out and I figured it out. I made cast this kind of fly and this kind of fly and I figured out what the, okay, that might be the case, but for the vast majority of anglers and those who have a really good time figuring out the, the minutia, they've been given some parameters by having other influences, whether they be, uh, you know, casual acquaintances or whether they be formal educators, where they have brought them into a environment where they can succeed and succeed quicker. Because I th think there's something to be said for that. You know, we all learn better. We all learn more. We all desire to achieve when we experience results, when we experience positive results. And so to have someone come alongside you who is a, a good angler, but can also tell you something about why they're doing what they're doing, that is going to put you in a position where you can begin to emulate that much, much quicker. So that's the first lie that you, know, you can figure out fly fishing on your own. Uh, you, you can, in the sense, with a big asterisk and caveat, that uh, you, you are using the resources provided by others. And like I said, you know, I, I think when you when you look at most anglers, particularly rewind a generation or, or two before the internet and the prevalence of online resources, the people that truly succeed are going to say, I had this person in my life to show me what to do. That probably even trumps the hired professionals. As great as getting a guide is, and, and I would absolutely recommend it to anyone and everyone who has resources and interest, having somebody in their life that knows you, they can probably in, in a way that even an incredibly articulate and well-spoken guide who is a gifted communicator, they can probably get to the heart of the issues that you're trying to figure out faster than that person. So that's the first one that you can figure out fly fishing on your own. The second lie has to do with fish, and it's this: trout are hard to catch. Trout are hard to catch. Um, this is a common perception among folks who are starting out fly fishing, and who are going to a trout stream and are trying to catch uh, wild trout or maybe even stock trout that have become acclimated to the stream uh, with a tiny little dry fly um, on uh, the opening day of the season. Trout are hard to catch. I tried and tried. I cast thousands of times. I didn't even get get a look. Well, you know what? Some trout are hard to catch, but I can tell you after fishing for, I don't know how many years, 30 plus years, uh, bluegill can be hard to catch. I have seen bluegill that have refused everything that I have offered to them. So ought the conclusion be bluegill are hard to catch? No. I mean, even this summer, I, I came across just a ton of bluegill on a pond that gets no pressure in Virginia. And these things had lockjaw. It took so much work to get into these fish. And it became that became the challenge. It, it, it had nothing to do with the fact that this is the kind of fish that kids catch with a worm under a bobber. It had nothing to do with, with the fact that the, you know, that there was big bass in this pond that I could be pursuing. It had to do with the fact that I wanted to catch this one particular type of fish. Um, they weren't necessarily the best fighters, certainly wasn't going to eat the things, but I wanted to catch that fish. It's the exact same situation when you talk about why people think that trout are hard to catch. There are plenty of trout that are easy to catch. There are times when you can't help but catching trout. You only have to look as far as the local stream where the folks throw worms and spinners and power bait and little crankbait and things like that, and they catch their limit and they do so quickly. 
it's not that hard, trout are necessarily hard to catch. It's that trying to catch trout, where you're trying to catch them, and how you're trying to catch them might be a little bit harder. We've all had the experience, or I, I, I'm being presumptuous there, we've probably had the experience where there's some streams that for some stretches, they lock up and those fish aren't going to play ball. It just is what it is for that season, whether it be temperature swings, whether it be pressure, whether it be just where those fish are in their seasonal cycle, they are not going to want to pursue flies, particularly certain certain types of flies. They might want not to chase a big streamer. It's just not what they want to do, whether it be a small fish or a big, big fish. They might not want to look up. They, they have no interest in rising to flies. There could be mayflies or caddisflies dancing all over the surface, and they have no interest in it. However, something flips. All of a sudden, the terrestrials are out, and they're going to pursue ants. And maybe once they start rising to ants, they're going to start rising to other bugs. Um, the, the temperature starts to drop and, and they anticipate having a time when they, they need a little bit more, uh, uh nutrition. And so they're going to start chasing those streamers. So there's streams that are great one day and they're not great the next day. And this is really more the case when it comes to people saying trout are hard to catch on a fly rod. Um, there's plenty of fish that are hard to catch on a fly rod. Bonefish are hard to catch on a fly rod. Roosterfish are hard to catch on a fly rod. Um, I, I, there's been plenty of situations and circumstances where I know there's smallmouth bass all across a stretch of river, and they want nothing to do with a popper or a streamer or a nymph. They just are completely uninterested in everything that I am presenting to them, and they act just like trout. And I think that's, that's a great example. Smallmouth, river smallmouth, and river trout behave remarkably similarly. Um, this is why I always recommend trying nymphing for river river smallmouth because it is a, a major food source for them. And although it's not as glamorous or, or sexy as throwing a popper, it's going to produce as much, if not more. Um, and But there's times where river filled with smallmouth are just very, very difficult to diagnose and very difficult to, to get any production out of, whereas a trout stream is, is much more easier to do. So this is one of those misconceptions I think we have about fly fishing for trout. Um, I think what this stems from is people wanting to wade into a river, uh, put on a you know like a size twelve um, you know royal coachman, and cast it uh, upstream and drift it across, and just anticipate that like in the insurance commercials, the trout are come jumping out of the water to to catch to to get their fly. Um, that's not necessarily how it's going to go. Um, it, there's going to be a lot more work that goes into it. And that's why people turn to nymphing so often. That's why people turn to fishing streamers more often. It is a higher percentage yield, uh, more, more often than not. And so it is a lie to say that trout are hard to catch on a fly rod, um, because all fish can be hard to catch on a fly rod. Um, and all trout can be hard to catch with spinning gear, with bait. Uh, but to, to remember that your bad experience on a river that you know had fish in it um, is is a bad experience for one day. It might be indicative of your your need to change something, and more often than not, that's the case. But it's also potentially an indication that that's just it's a day when anyone and everyone is going to struggle on that stream. Um, there's days when the power bait guys don't catch fish. You have to remember that um, in, in streams that you know have lots of fish in them. All right, so the first lie is that you can do it on your own. Second line is that trout are hard to catch on a fly rod. The third one is going to kind of take a little bit of a turn and uh, just bear with me on this. It's this. Uh, you have to be liberal to support conservation. You have to be liberal to support conservation. So I am not one to shy away from talking about money or 
politics or religion on the podcast or in general. And so why why stop now? So this is one of those things that I, I think is a, a misconception within fly fishing. It's that if you support conservation, uh, that you inevitably support the another host of issues that generally fall on that side of the aisle. Okay. Now, might there be some folks in fly fishing and some folks in the outdoors world that are one issue voters? And so, irrespective of what a candidate or a party also believes and endorses, they are going to vote the environment. That's probably true. But should it be that way? Ought to be that way? The answer is no. There's countless other things that are worth your time, energy, and effort. Uh, the environment matters. Cold water conservation matters. But it is only one thing. You might say, well, if the environment goes to pot, then all the other stuff doesn't matter. Okay, yes, I would say that's true. But but that's making a lot of assumptions and assumptions that are based on erroneous conclusions about, I, I think, truly what we can and can't do to to the natural world. Um, no one is is plotting on, you know, paving over over the entire the world. You might say, oh, this this big corporations are. No, they're not, because you know what? They want a house with a backyard and, and, and they want to enjoy their little, little piece of peace and quiet. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called uh, That Hideous Strength. It's a uh, uh, the, the third entry in the, the Space Trilogy, which, uh, you know, he had two big fiction series. One was the Narnia uh, series, seven books, and then the other was the uh, Space Trilogy or the, the Ransom Trilogy, three books. Excellent, underrated uh, novels. But the third one, That Hideous Strength, there is a evil entity. And they are characterized as wanting to uh, pave over uh, a rural um, uh, kind of hamlet in, in, in England and replace the trees with uh, with with metal trees because they don't you know give off uh, filthy things like like leaves uh, and bark and dirt and, and stuff like that. Uh, this is a, a, a caricature uh, of, of of a mindset that is you know denigrating the natural world. All that said, uh, the, the folks that are doing want doing that ultimately have what we would consider kind of a, a liberal approach. Uh, to to mankind, to humanity, uh, eliminating the 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 inherent uh, value or dignity of humanity. What so what that illustrates and what, what that what that demonstrates, and what I'm what I'm trying to communicate is that uh, it's not necessarily a right and left uh, kind of issue. It's not necessarily everything good is on one side, everything bad is on the other side. Uh, that kind of dichotomy has has been ramped up in uh, political discourse and in popular discourse uh, today, and it's it's easy to do because of the the fact that. Everyone has a platform online. Hey, everybody can have a podcast, even me. But so what I'm getting, getting back to the point here. OK, we've, we've talked about uh, fictitious uh, English cities and uh, C.S. Lewis and uh, outer space. Um, getting back to the point, this means that you can be an ardent supporter of cold water conservation, of environmental causes, of various environmental groups and organizations without necessarily buying into all the other things that that candidate or that group necessarily supports. Now, this is where you need to be clear. If Going back to my, my uh, Lewis example, if that group wants to protect the trout at the, the, uh, the same time degrading the dignity of humanity, that would be a group I would want nothing part of. And hopefully, if you consider yourself on the left of the aisle, uh, you, you would 
probably say the same thing. I mean, I make no bones about the fact that I'm relatively conservative, not not necessarily uh, aligning with Republican values, but conservative values. And I would I would hope that you would share that same same uh, uh, perspective that what matters more than than just protecting fish is protecting fish and taking care of people, okay, and and doing so in a way that respects the dignity of of all stages of life. So the third lie is that you have to uh, be part of the entire picture of what people usually support when they support environmentalism. Uh, that's not the case. Um, you need to vote your conscience. You need to vote what is right, but you also need to be consistent. If you support one thing over here, you need to support something else over there. If you think that it, it matters to protect trout, what other life are you protecting? What other lives, what other what other um, um, voiceless lives are, are, are you also trying to protect? Or are you being inconsistent? Is this really a, a selfish motivation because the, the, the trout aren't, aren't necessarily ones that are going to, uh, um, you know, be on your conscience at night when you go to bed. So this a little bit more um, uh, off the beaten trail, as it were, from usual casting across a uh, flare, but a couple conversations I've had recently made this uh, something that I want to include. Um, and really, at the end of the day, what my desire is, is not for people to do exactly what I do, vote exactly how I vote, live the way I live, fish the way I fish. My desire is that you think through these things in a way that you don't say, well, I'm going to fish, but I'm not going to support these organizations because I, I don't like the other stuff that the people that support those organizations do. That may be a very valid reason to not support it. It just shouldn't be necessarily a, a stopper for it. Similarly, I think you also shouldn't think, well, I'm going to support these because I'm, I'm, I have to. I'm a, what else would I do? And if you say, you know what, there, there needs to be a third way, then be that pioneer. Be the one that blazes the trail. Be the one that takes up the cause for the right reason. As I've said countless times before, and as I alluded to even earlier in this podcast, my desire to support the created world is because I believe that we have been given the mandate to support the created world by a, a, a creator God. Not because it's it's inherently good on its own, but because it was created good. And there's a significant difference there that goes beyond the scope of this podcast. But that's why I do it. It has nothing to do with political ideology. It has nothing to do with, with guilt if I don't. It has nothing to do with the, the fact that if I have to take a fish and to protect a fish, it has to do with uh, inherent value uh, because of its created nature. Anyway, that got a little bit deeper, but isn't that fun? So three lies of fly fishing. The first one is that you can do it by yourself. The second one is that trout are hard to catch on a fly rod. And thirdly, that uh, you have to be of a certain political ideology to support conversation or conversation. No, yeah, that would be great if there was uh, every political party supported conversation. Thirdly, you have to uh, be of a certain political ideology to support conservation. This week on Casting Across, three articles. The first one that came out was called Four Fly Fishing Trip Questions. Floor Four Fly Fishing Trip Questions. So uh, we have a lot of these downstream conversations about fly fishing trips. Where should I go? Um, should I get a guide? Uh, things like that. Um, you know, wh what time of year should I go? Those are great questions. Those are worth talking about. But there's f four things that I identify in this article that actually happen upstream of that. Uh, things that have to do with maybe your skill and ability level, things that have to do with budget, things that have to do with timing, and how those questions will ultimately help you determine uh, the, the questions about where you go, if you hire a guide, how much time you spend, things like that. Uh, risk reward is one of those questions uh, that we might think about, but I think sometimes we jump to 
uh, getting online, researching the Bahamas, researching uh, Montana without necessarily thinking, wait, what what do I really want to get out of this? I mean, you might just say, I don't want to get fish, which is great. Go get fish. But might a uh, long week, uh, you know, a couple hours away be a better thing for you than a long weekend uh, across the globe? So that's, that's kind of the stuff that I talk about. Then Wednesday's article is called Giving Every Day. So this is being recorded the week after Thanksgiving. And as you are aware, we have all these fake holidays that come after Thanksgiving, really through the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Uh, Tuesday being Giving Tuesday. So I'm not being disparaging to Giving Tuesday. In fact, I'm saying this is something that we shouldn't limit to Tuesday, Uh, kind of, again, circling back to what I talked about in the podcast. Uh, your political ideology uh, and and the the causes you support shouldn't be limited to uh, you know one time of the year. And so what I'm advocating is making routine uh, benevolence and altruism part of of your your life, but certainly within your fly fishing interest. And so I highlight four organizations, and every one of them has to do with fly fishing and youth. Um, three, uh, two are explicitly fly fishing. Uh, one is uh, f- very fishing focused, and one of them is general outdoors, but certainly has mixed f- fishing and fly fishing in it, and it's local to me up here in New England. So definitely check that out and check out those links. And I think for every one of those organizations that I mentioned, I have countless other articles on Casting Across talking about them, interviewing their their founders, interviewing their participants. Um, so they're definitely worth checking out. Um, and that article, again, is called Giving Every Day. This week's recommendation is a recommendation I've made before, but uh, I'm going to make it again now because they have uh, sent out some really cool emails and they've been doing this for a few months now, but the app is Trout Routes. So uh, this is not a social media app. Okay. I just want to say that again, because that's the big question that I know they get. And it's a question I've got when I've told people about it. It's not a place where you tell people where you're fishing. It's an information gathering app, not from you, but from the world, from uh, uh, various uh, conservation organizations, uh, from or state state conservation organizations, from maps, from, uh, from, from user information that is provided on purpose so that there is access information, so that there is uh, regulation information, so that there is stream flow data, things like that. So it's not where you're fishing, not how many or what kind of fish you're catching. It's information and, and data to provide to you uh, so that you can go and fish, fish better and fish more informed and find new places to fish. But what they've been doing is putting classes out. So a couple of the software packages for different things I use for work and, and for whatnot, they, they have you know uh, uh, seminars, webinars, if you will, that talk about how to use the platform. And the fact that Trout Routes is doing this, and they do this with, with various members of their team, people who are more focused on the software side, people who are more focused on the biology side, on the, the mapping side, and they walk you through how you can use these things. And as far as I can tell, it's free if you have the app. Um, it's probably free if you don't have the app to encourage you to, to get the app too, but um, they're definitely worth checking out. They're definitely worth looking at. It's a great value added thing to a, a great app already. And uh, I'm pretty confident they still are running the, you know, you get so many days free with the pro features um, of the app. But I would definitely encourage you to check it out. If you have everything already and you're looking for a gift in this holiday season, it's a great gift to give someone who fly fishes or a great gift to ask for a year of trout route. So I'll put a link to Trout Route's website on the uh, show notes to this podcast page. And on their website, you can find information about the educational um, and user uh, encouragement opportunities that you can find on their uh, their platform. Uh, 
Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and read the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.